Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in our country's armed forces. On this series, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and experiences. We'll talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector and we'll discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton here with you on Veteran Voices. I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Kevin Horgan. Kevin is a Marine and a retired UPSer. He's also on the leadership team over at Vetlana, who we're partnering with on today's episode. You can learn more about Vetlana at vetlana.org. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good, Scott. How are you? You know, we've had a great week, and I'm really excited about the, the uh, interview we've got lined up here with a special guest, and I know you are too. So with no further ado, uh, we're delighted to have Amy Looney Heffernan join us today as our special guest. Amy is author of The Knock at the Door, Three Gold Star Families Bonded by Grief and Purpose, which is a, a wonderful, very powerful book. Amy is the widow of Lieutenant Brendan Looney, a Navy SEAL who was uh, killed in Afghanistan in September 2010. She's also the vice president of the Travis Mannion Foundation and lives in Washington, D.C., where she runs the foundation's regional office there. Amy, uh, great to have you with us here today. Thank you, Scott, and thank you, Kevin. I'm just excited to have the opportunity to, to share more about the work we do and a little bit more about my story, so thank you. Words don't do it justice, but you know, thank you to your family, uh, you and your family, for all of your enormous contributions to our country, and again, uh, honored to have you uh, as a special guest on this show. Okay, so Kevin, you might have a few opening remarks before you dive into our first question with Amy. Thank you, Scott. God, I appreciate that. Amy, it is very special to have you here today. There really is a significant bond between Vetlanta and the Travis Mannion Foundation dating back to nearly the beginning of Vetlanta, when Vetlanta President Lloyd Knight was so inspired during a speech by Colonel Mannion that he penned the idea of the Vetlanta pillars during the event. The partnership between Vetlanta and the Travis Mannion Foundation grew when Colonel Tom Mannion was a keynote speaker at the Vetlana second quarter, 27 by Coca-Cola. That is when I met the Colonel, and I was impressed with his grace under what can only be described as crushing grief. And I could not put his book, Brothers Forever, down. I'm honored to announce that Amy will be one of the keynote speakers at the Vetlana third quarter summit, which will be held virtually on August 13th, hosted by UPS. Looking forward to that big event. The, the, the summits, the Vetlana summits are always some of the best programming around for the veteran community here in the metro Atlanta area, Amy, and, and I know you're going to be a knockout keynote. Uh, what a great get for that program. Shifting gears a bit, though, Amy, and, and really start on, on a very uh, sincere note. Doing our homework here, Kevin and I both know that your husband was an incredible person, individual, and, and so much more. Um, what would you like our audience to know about, Brendan? Brennan lived life to the fullest. You know, he was only here on earth with us for 29 years, but he was something to everyone. You know, he was an, a Navy SEAL, a wonderful teammate, um, a loving son, brother, husband. 
and, and friend to very many people. He was the oldest of six siblings, so he often very much was used to playing a leadership role when, within his family, which I, I believe translated into the way that he actually you know, was able to step up as a leader, both personally and professionally, all throughout his, his short 29 years here with us. Um, I would say that if you walked away with anything to know about Brendan, it was that he gave everything that he put his heart and his effort into 110%. He never left anything feeling as if it was shortchanged or handled incorrectly. He always really thrived on stepping out of his comfort zone. And he used to tell me that, you know, he's like, you always grow more as a person when you take a leap of faith and step out and do something that isn't comfortable for you. And I never, I never really understood what he meant by that. I think I got the concept, but I didn't really understand that until I lived that um, experience by really stepping out of my comfort zone in trying to navigate and handle my life journey after his loss. Gosh, so much to dive into there. But uh, Kevin, let's talk about Amy's book here. I read your book, Amy, uh, A Knock at the Door, uh, The Journey of Ryan, Travis Mannion's sister, and Heather, the widow of Rob Kelly, and of course you. Uh, the widow of uh, Brendan. You don't hold back in the, your third of the book, and you state early in your narrative, be strong, be accountable, never complain. Can you elaborate on that? I um, Those are actually, um, that's really Brendan's mantra and his words that I really just embraced um, very much after his loss. And like I said earlier, you know, it's kind of live life to the fullest, be strong, always believe in yourself, and know that you might not know exactly what the right step or the right decision is, but believe in yourself and, and be as strong as you think that you can be in a situation and, and be accountable, you know, whether that's, you know, everyone makes mistakes, but owning them and understanding how to be accountable for them makes a really big impact on who you are as an individual. And I think my, my favorite out of the three is never complain. Um, one thing Brendan never tolerated was complaining. He very much believed that you know, if you have a problem, you go to the person, you talk about it, you address it, and you pick up and you move on. But to sit there and complain, it doesn't do anyone any value. So I've really lived by those those three sentiments, be strong, be accountable, and never complain, because I think many of us can get in situations where it's easy to let some of those elements go. And I try to use Brendan as my inspiration as I try to push forward and, and do good things in his memory. Three elements are, are it's a great mantra. And you were very candid in the book, Amy. The story, it seemed to me, is less about you than about the people in your life who helped you grow and live up to that high standard. And you state, and I'll quote, death has a way of making those who survive question our own life decisions, unquote. Can you describe that for me? I think it's really about perspective. You know, my perspective changed significantly after Brendan's death. I think before his death, I used to get upset at small things that didn't really matter and and really dwell and kind of focus on the little things. And I realized that after losing him that there are, you know, it's a different perspective. You know, living each day and having an opportunity to have another day meant more to me than I ever thought that that would. And I think when you're faced, whether it's death or any kind of, you know, we wrote this book, The Knock at the Door, um, it's really for everyone. You know, it's not just about grief and loss. That was our specific knock at the door, but we all receive a knock at the door. Um, maybe you've had it, maybe you haven't yet, but at least understanding how to um, pick up the pieces and how to move forward with purpose, intention, and a new perspective is really 
um, you know, where I was going with sharing that quote. Well, I, I got to tell you that the book certainly is for everybody. It made me think a great deal of um, certain inadequacies in my life, it, 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 but it was very powerful and, and touching. Can, can, there's another part that intrigued me. Can you talk of the what if game becoming the what now and the two-way street? Part of my section talks about this concept of, you know, what if weighs a lot and how that can be very burdensome over time. And just naturally as an individual, I, I'm always a planner. I'm always overthinking things and probably going into way more detail than needs to be in any situation. And I, I used to think immediately after Brendan's death that why am I in this position? What if I hadn't met Brendan or decided to date someone who was, you know, serving our country and a, and a member of the military? What if I hadn't moved out to San Diego where we were living? Maybe I wouldn't be faced with this situation. And I decided at a certain part in my grief that I had to stop thinking, you know, what if this hadn't happened? What if that hadn't happened? Because I realized to, that I had to find a way to be grateful for those moments. And finding a way to be grateful helped shift my perspective and helped shift my attitude that I was able to start to think about, wow, I wouldn't be the person that I am today if I hadn't gone through these obstacles, if I hadn't gone through these challenges and hadn't been faced with grief and loss and how to try to overcome many of these challenges. And I, I really believe that I am a stronger person, not, not every moment of every day, but I think I am much stronger than I was prior to Brennan's death, because I just think that it actually taught me to be grateful for some of the small lessons and things that I was being afforded, um, you know, with, through my time with Brendan while he was here with us and alive. I got to tell you, your honesty is certainly is inspirational. Now, you state in the book, and I'm paraphrasing, that one of the most important things Brendan helped you prepare for was to be his widow. And that seems to me to be a key of any good marriage. It just rings true. You, you write, Amy, in an unpretentious, humble manner, but you're a self-styled type A personality. I mean, you write thank you notes within 72 hours. So who does that? Is your modesty your superpower? You know, it's actually funny that you mentioned that um, because I, I will say it's, you know, it's one of my best qualities, but it's also one of my worst qualities because sometimes I don't necessarily like to take credit for work or things that I've done. So sometimes I'm a little bit too modest or a little bit too humble. And I think, you know, my goal is trying to find that balance where it is important to show that the work that you're doing, you know, you want to take credit for it. You want to, you want to own that experience and the work that you've done because you care about it. But at the same time, I think for me, it's always easier for me to focus on others versus myself because I'm just a very giving person. And to me, I would rather go out and worry about everyone else versus thinking about myself and some of the accolades and accomplishments that I've made. So I think it's, it's, there's pros and cons to being modest and being humble, but I think finding that balance and that fine line on how to play the two together, I think will be where I actually, um, you know, excel in the long term. <laughs> It really is a powerful testimony is, is the phrase that comes to my mind right now as I, as I listen more of your insights and your observations and kind of your journey here, Amy. In my background, uh, some, of, some of my favorite leaders, some of the most powerful leaders I've ever had the privilege of working around and rub elbows with, a lot of those folks 
had a great tragedy at some point in their lives, and they, they redirected a lot of what came from that into new projects, new opportunities, new initiatives, new journeys. Now, a lot of those folks did not have the tragedy that, that you had in the loss of your husband, but clearly from what I'm hearing is, is you were able to very successfully look within yourself and redirect extreme levels of grief into helping others. And so let's talk more about the Travis Mannion Foundation and how a lot of what how you've been able to redirect things really has very in a very powerful way helped many others. So tell us if you would first, when did you decide to join the Travis Mannion Foundation? So I actually decided to join, um, you know, the organization's uh, been in existence since uh, 2007, just after First Lieutenant Travis Mannion um, was killed in Iraq, uh, shot by an enemy sniper trying to rescue and bring to safety his um, wounded teammates. And, you know, for me, Travis was a very close friend of mine and Brendan's. They went to the Naval Academy together. They were roommates best friends, and now they're buried side by side um, at Arlington National Cemetery. And for both Brendan and I, back in 2007, that was really the first person that we had lost in service to our country. And it was really a wake-up call for me because, you know, I was dating someone who was in training to be a Navy SEAL and also, you know, to lose Travis, who was someone that was so close to us, you, you almost feel like sometimes you're a little removed from it until it happens to you. And it very much caught Brendan and I off guard because you always hear about things, whether it's in the movies or the news or the media, but you think, well, that won't happen to me or that won't happen to someone I know. So that was a big wake-up call for us. And I know that, you know, Brendan was very inspired and motivated even more to ensure that Travis's memory and his legacy would continue on. So we both really got involved early on uh, back in 2007, Brendan ran the Marine Corps Marathon that year in, um, in Travis's memory. And, you know, the foundation very much started out doing small events and things to honor and remember the sacrifices that our military community and our Gold Star family members make on a daily basis. So we started volunteering. And then obviously, three and a half years later, fast forward to 2010, Brendan is killed on his final combat mission in Afghanistan. So for me, I was like, wow, this is, you know, something that will has completely changed my life. Not, not only having, you know, dealing with Travis's loss, but now dealing with the, the loss and the death of my husband. And for me, I knew that the way that Brendan felt about Travis and ensuring his legacy would be remembered was going to be something that was also incredibly important to me because it was so important to Brendan as well. So I, I honestly volunteered to start one of our community engagement efforts. It's called the 9-11 Heroes Run. And it's traditionally known as a 5K race series, but it's really turned into a national community event to honor and remember the men and women that have sacrificed their lives, our first responders, um, our law enforcement, our healthcare workers who have really put their lives on the line on 9-11 and in, and in the wars to follow. So I thought, you know, what a great way for me to get engaged in the community. It had never happened. The 9-11 Heroes Run was new to San Diego. So I got a group of my closest girlfriends together that first year after Brennan's death in 2011. And we put on this 9-11 Heroes Run and we had over 1,100 people show up 
for a first time event. And I just remember being at that event and thinking, wow, this is really incredible. People do care. They do, they do want to honor and remember those that have selflessly served and sacrificed. And it meant something to me. I started to feel the change. You know, I was like, wow, even though I was concerned that I wouldn't have any direction or a sense of purpose or meaning after Brennan's death, I felt like I had found something to get involved, create a larger community, and really demonstrate the value that our military community brings, you know, to the forefront. They demonstrate a lot of leadership skills, a lot of ways to persevere. They demonstrate resilience, so many different attributes that they possess. And I just felt like with the work that we do at the Travis Manion Foundation, it was such a great forum for me to put my time and energy into making something better and serving the community while also ensuring that Brennan and Travis's memory and their legacy would live on in a very positive way. So I want to talk a little bit more about the Travis Minion Foundation, but but if I can take a quick sidebar, Amy, personally, I've interviewed a bunch of folks, whether it's live events or podcasts or, you know, webinars or you name it, and I'm a big believer in empathy, and I, I'm trying, as I hear more about your story and just your sheer loss between Brendan and, of course, Travis being such a close friend, it's, it's staggering to try to walk in your shoes for a minute, and I don't know if it's just me and maybe I'm too far removed from it, being out of the service for so long, but do you get, as, as you engage folks in your journeys and your, your responsibilities with the Travis Manion Foundation, do you find other folks that really struggle to, to really empathize and, and uh, understand just the, the sheer amount of loss and, and the major sacrifices that you and your family have made? I definitely think, you know, when you work in a very con- a community-based organization, you meet all kinds of different people, people that have experiences with the military, those that don't, and and you see and you interact with people at all different places. You know, you're getting the version that's talking to you of someone who has, you know, I'm 10 years out of my loss of losing uh, Brendan, and I'm a very different person now than I was, you know, the first year or the third year, or the fifth year after Brendan's death. And I think surrounding yourself with people who aspire to do something good and being wanting to be agents of change and really ensuring that, you know, the sacrifices of those that have served and put their life on the line um, is something that's, that's, that's truly powerful, you know. And, and we meet, you know, I, I work with other Gold Star families who probably could not, you know, they're not at the same place in their journey that I'm at right now. But I will say, I think what is is something that motivates them is for them to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's going to take time. And there's going to be time that times that you will actually progress forward really well. And then there's moments that I'm here 10 years out and I can hear a song that reminds me of Brendan and I'll immediately, you know, start crying because it takes me back to those moments and things that really stick in my mind about the life and the love that we shared. And I think having those experiences and being able to demonstrate that we all go through ups and downs and we all go through different walks throughout different stages in life and it's okay to struggle but a lot of what we talk about in the book is learning how to struggle well and struggle well together. Thanks so much for sharing. That means a lot. Really appreciate that. And 
the thought you ended on that it's okay to struggle. You know, I think there's a lot of, um, at least when I was in the military, there was a lot of, hey, it's, it's not okay to struggle. That was kind of how we're built, right? We, we didn't want to uh, appear to be weak or, or um, what have you. And, and that's such an important message that it's okay. And, and, and there's folks there waiting and willing to struggle with you and then get you through these really tough times. So th thanks so much for sharing. Okay, on a much lighter note, going back to your work with the Travis Manion Foundation, you know, the good news is, you know, even since 9-11 when, you know, the last, uh, gosh, 19 years of fighting wars really began, there's been a lot of veteran organizations uh, establish themselves and, and try to figure out how to, help, how to help the veteran community. They're not all built alike by any means. That's one of my favorite things about the Vetlanta organization where, you know, Lloyd and Kevin and the rest of the team really works to vet all of these different organizations. A lot of these organizations, and I think this is pretty fair to say, can be laid back because they really depend on all volunteers and, and you know, sometimes the programs take place because there's resources, sometimes there's not. So you, you kind of have to be laid back and maybe flexible, but they're doing good work. Uh, but you know, the Travis Manion Foundation seems to be built differently. And, and you know, I've been following the foundation on Facebook in particular for a couple of years and really admire whether it's a 9-11 Heroes Run or uh, the program we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, Character Does Matter. But what makes the Travis Manion Foundation, in your view, so different than, than many other service organizations? Before I kind of get into the, the character development piece, you know, let me just share a little bit about, on a larger scale, what we do as an organization. You know, we're a, a national community that has over 120,000 members, but we're led by our veterans and our families of the fallen. As a foundation, we invest in our members through personal development, leadership training, and education. And in return, our members actually serve as volunteer leaders and role models for character. And when you do that, as a result, those members will actually gain a renewed sense of purpose, strong personal relationships, and the opportunity to really leverage their strengths, their own personal strengths, and understand how to actually go out and make an impact in their community. And when you leverage the military community, you really establish a strong and unified national identity that's really built around character, leadership, and service. So when you think about, you know, I, I know, Scott, you were sharing a little bit about our Character Does Matter program, and that's definitely, I believe, really what, you know, that is our keystone effort. And it's really about training and developing our veterans and our families of the fallen to go out and teach our younger generations how to step up, be leaders, live by the words that are Travis's words that he spoke um, before he left for that last and final deployment. If not me, then who? Learning how to live that and putting that into action can actually make true change um, in the community. So it's wonderful because you know you're providing that opportunity for our veterans and our families of the fallen to really step up find a new sense of purpose, um, a new sense of meaning, and build new relationships that are only going to foster good things. And I think many of us can really feel comfortable knowing that what a great concept to have our military community step up and be of value and really lead and demonstrate real change through our next generation who can help really rebuild and repair and serve and make good in our communities here, here on the home front. Clearly, just what you shared there, 
your unique value proposition to steal a, a, a business word is very clear and and I love that it seems like it's some of the, some of my favorite organizations especially those that really have a intent focus on serving make that to be very practical with really clear bottom line results and it seems like that's a big part of your DNA at the Travis Manion Foundation. Yep, very much so. All right, so now let's talk about this character does matter. I, I think I'd seen something a while back via social media um, about one of the events related to this, and then it hit my radar when Kevin and I were doing a little bit of prep for today's interview. So tell us more about this character does matter program. You know, we work with thousands of veterans and families of the fallen that we train through our curriculum to go into you know, local middle school, high schools, athletic groups, youth groups, um, sport, sporting activity clubs. Um, that message of character, leadership, and service is really relevant in all of those different areas. But our, our veterans and our families of the fallen, they go in and they actually teach this curriculum to middle school and high school age students. And the idea is really for them to understand um, you know, what servant leadership looks like, how to be a leader in your own community, and really understanding what are your strengths, what are your values, and how do you leverage those to really go out and make an impact. And I think it's great, you know, there's so many organizations that, yes, we do truly serve veterans, and we're affording them this opportunity to go out and mentor these young adults, but what a great feeling to know that the experiences that you've shared, whether it's through your military service or losing a loved one, you can actually go out and make change by demonstrating the value of that by teaching that to young adults and helping them develop what their values are, what their character strengths are, and how you can go out and live that to better yourselves and better your community. So such a great concept when you think about the fact that it's benefiting the military community, but also benefiting our youth and our young adults out there. Love it. Kevin, what a program, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It's um... It's really magnificent. I'm proud to be uh, a sponsor, too. I think that's great. Amy, um, while conducting some uh, research for our talk today, we noticed you were recently interviewed by Chad Graham of the Woody Williams Foundation. It's significant because Medal of Honor recipient Woody Williams will be the other keynote speaker at the Vetlana Q3 Summit on August 13th. The mission of Woody's Foundation is to honor, recognize, and serve Gold Star families and their loved ones who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. You already touched on the Gold Star family, but can you describe more about uh, the typical Gold Star family member and also provide, if you can, some advice on what we can do to not just assist them, but what can we do to say to them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Kevin, and we get asked that a lot, especially as a, a Gold Star spouse myself. And you know, I, I was lucky that Chad and I were able to have that conversation um, just about the importance of honoring and remembering the men and women that have selflessly served and sacrificed their lives in service to our country. I think it's incredibly important for people to, you know, the family members that I associate with and, and the ones that, and, you know, even myself, this is how I feel. It's very important, you know, there's a, a saying out there that no one is truly dead until their name is no longer spoken. And I really believe those words carry such magnitude when it comes to the way that Gold Star families feel about the death of their loved ones. You know, they enjoy talking about the memories and the stories and, you know, the funny qualities and things that those, those, those individuals had. You know, a lot of people 
that have not experienced loss often think, well, maybe it's better to not talk about that person because I don't want to upset them or bring up some feelings that maybe could cause some emotion. And I, I believe this, and I found with other Gold Star families, they, they want to, you know, still talk about them. They want to talk about those memories. And the biggest and most important thing that I see is that they want to ensure that their sacrifice is not forgotten and ensuring that there are people out there that can go and understand and learn about those stories, learn about those men and women that have given their lives for us that, that, have, that do not or have not worn the uniform is so incredibly important. And that's, you know, one of the biggest components of what we do at the foundation is we're ensuring that by going out and being of service to others, that's a great way to continue on the legacy of our fallen and ensuring that their memory and the legacy and the way that they live their lives is never forgotten. Wow. Amen to that. Yes. Ah, uh, man. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit here, Amy, let's talk about resiliency. It's one of the words we've heard a lot about in 2020. Big topic uh, universally, especially in the business world, become a buzzword just about overnight. But military veterans and military families, I would argue, I think Kevin and I both would argue, tend to be more, more resilient because, you know, military way of life demands it. Our nation faces no shortage of great challenges right now and has for, for months now, which is going to require a ton of strength and purpose to drive change, but also resiliency, you know, a quality that is challenging for all individuals, organizations, and industries to attain. So question for you, kind of with that preset, how can organizations like Travis Manion Foundation and Vetlana and, and, and your work, how do you all partner with other veteran service organizations to help rebuild the resilience and resiliency in our country and our communities? Great question and so relevant to the time that we're living in right now. For us, it's really about providing, you know, I talked about how we train and educate and develop our, our military community to step up and be leaders on the home front. And I think that that's so important right now because I think no matter what views you have, how you feel about the way that our country, you know, the challenges that we're faced with right now, I think at the end of the day, we're all looking and craving for, you know, leadership right in our own backyards. And I think if we can continue to invest, train, develop our military community, our families of the fallen, our, our, our military families, you know, if we can leverage them to demonstrate the values, the resilience, the experiences that they've been through to go out and step up to be leaders at home to make change um, and, and, and to create better and stronger communities and demonstrate what real what real leadership can look like right down the street from you, from your own neighbor. I think that's incredibly important that we take that time and we invest in our military community and we keep investing in them because I know, I'm sure Kevin and Scott, you can relate just from your own, you know, service experiences you know, you've been faced with times that have been challenging and, and difficult. And I'm sure very much like myself, I feel like that has helped guide me into becoming a more resilient individual. And I think it's really up to us that if we've been through these experiences, you know, we've had this knock at the door. It's, it's up to us to really step up and be leaders of change um, right here in our own communities. I have a couple more questions 
questions about the book. I, I really enjoyed it. It is that good. And my wife is digging through it now. She says it's, it's very difficult for her. Um, it's not an easy book to get through, but a couple things. You finish your segment of the book talking about three elements, another mantra. First, choose courage. Second, building a new present does not whitewash your past. And finally, you never know what you're prepared for. So be present and have faith. And do you think this applies to all people grieving to all faces of that grief process? You know, Kevin, I think it actually can apply to everyone because I feel like sometimes, you know, when I talk about at the first and foremost of everything, choose courage. Courage is not always easier. You know, I, I talk a little bit about how I felt like I sort of hit this fork in the road a few years out of my loss of Brendan. And I really felt like I was forced to really shift my my attitude, my narrative, the way I was thinking about things. And it took more courage for me to step up and make changes in my life, whereas I felt as if it would have been easier if I just kind of sat and allowed my grief to consume me because then I didn't have to make any real changes. But I, I really embraced that mantra because I felt like I looked at Brendan, I looked at Travis, I looked at the way that they lived their lives, and they would have not have been okay with me sitting around and letting my grief consume me. I know that they, they knew that I had the strength in me. I just needed to find a way to dig deep down and figure out how to be courageous and try to make steps forward, but still do it in a meaningful way that I could ensure that their legacy and their memory would not be forgotten. You know, the other thing that I talked about was building a new present does not whitewash your past. I think that's really important because, you know, almost three years ago, I, I got remarried and I have a wonderful husband, Joel, who truly respects and understands and appreciates me and, and my experiences that I've been through in my life. And I, I think he is a incredible man to be able to understand that I would not be the person I am today if I hadn't been through these experiences. And that is the person that, that he loves. He's like, I don't know what you were like before, but I feel like in some ways I've been able to benefit because you have been able to understand growth and development and and how to push forward. And he's like, I don't feel, you know, I think it's important that you're out there, you're continuing to do that work and demonstrate the value and using yourself as an example to show that you can still have a future, but it doesn't mean that you have to eliminate your past and the experiences that you've been through in order to achieve that. Well, I, uh, well congratulations to you and Joel. I, uh, that's, that's really wonderful. That you stated in the book, and I'm going to quote exactly, it's, it's short and it's eloquent. The path to gratitude lies in openness. It, it sounds almost biblical, and if you told me you, you swiped it from the Bible, I might be crushed, but the path to gratitude lies in openness. Can you illustrate that now in respect to the foundation? For me, it was really about being open to new opportunities. It was very difficult for me early on because, as I mentioned, I'm I'm a planner. I like to know when to expect things. I like to know how to be prepared in case challenges or obstacles are thrown my way. And I really learned in time that sometimes there you can just be grateful for having the ability and the mindset to just be open to whatever's next. And I think it's easier for us to create walls and put up barriers to kind of help protect ourselves 
and block ourselves from things that may, that may harm us or may be hurtful to us. But I found that shifting my mindset to be more open allowed me to be more grateful for some of these experiences that I might have closed my doors to or, or closed my eyes and my experiences. So I felt like I was able to be a more open and vulnerable person by allowing myself to just be present and accept those opportunities for whatever was out there and really try to learn from them. You know, some of them were not good opportunities and some of them were really good. And fortunately enough, I've been very um, fortunate in the experiences of my work at the Travis Manion Foundation. And I will say that has taught me to be very grateful because it's given me a platform and it's given me a forum to do great work um, that really demonstrates how valuable our survivors, our military community, and many of those that just want to aspire to do something good and be an agent of change. And I think that that's something that's incredibly important to allow yourself to experience those opportunities. As we start to wrap up the interview here today, Amy, I want to ask you a question. And, and given given your journey, the pandemic may, may not present nearly the challenge that some of your other experiences and aspects of your journey has presented. But, you know, when you think about how the pandemic has impacted your ability to serve and the foundation's ability to serve and, and, and home life with Joel, what are some of the major things that come to mind? I, I think no matter, you know, what kind of coping mechanisms you have or how resilient you are, we've all faced challenges with this pandemic, you know, whether it's personally, professionally, um, you know, I, Joel and I, we had our first child back in September of last year. So being a new mom, um, spending most of my time in motherhood during the pandemic, really being someone who has thrived on my friendships and my relationships with others. And, you know, I have a husband who is an essential employee. So, you know, and, and, and working remotely from home and ensuring our mission still remains very much at the top of people's, you know, minds. Um, and remaining important and valuable, I think, has been a struggle for me to balance all of those and feel as if I'm doing it well. So I, I would say that's probably the biggest challenge. You know, as an organization, I think the pandemic really, we've been able to pivot and we have a phenomenal team that has really just, as many of us, have ha has had to learn how to adapt, adjust, and push forward. And, you know, many of us, I think at the beginning, it was very much about we actually turned inward because we very much believe, you know, when you talk about these elements of, you know, ensuring that the well-being of our members is always at the forefront of our mind, you know, we really turned in and ensured that our staff and our volunteer leaders were really doing okay because at the end of the day, their well-being and, you know, their mental health throughout all of this was our top priority. So ensuring, you know, that we were taking care of them doing what was right to ensure that they were okay really allowed us. Because I think it's when you think about this concept of mental health and well-being, if you can't take care of yourself, how are you supposed to go out and be of value to others? So we really spent a lot of time, you know, we have lots of resources on our website. Um, we've also, you know, transitioned a lot of our programming and those, you know, workshops that I was talking about earlier into having the capability to you know, lead and train those, um, everybody remotely. So it's been, you know, as, as with everything, there's been some ups and downs, but overall we've been able to pivot in a way that I think has been very meaningful to our members, but in addition to our communities at large as well. 
for our veteran and non-veteran listeners, anybody, what can we do to help the Travis Mannion Foundation? We, we have something for everyone. You know, I talked a lot about, yes, we're led by our veterans and our families of the fallen, but the foundation has opportunities. You know, I talked about creating and building a community, and that's really what we are as an organization. So there's something for everyone. If you decide what, what really, you know, makes you tick is helping volunteer and being a part of something, then I would just encourage you to go to our website at travismanion.org. In the upper right-hand corner, there is an icon that says join the mission, and it will share every program, every workshop that we have that's available, every resource that you can get involved, regardless of whether you're, you know, a military family member, a caregiver, a veteran, survivor, and a civilian. You know, some people are very interested in the work we do and want to continue supporting and providing us a way to to carry on this great work, and you can certainly donate. You know, you can do that through our website and help ensure that our programs, you know, do continue on and making an impact. And last but not least, I would say if none of those two options motivate you, anything you can do to share our message, you know, getting that if not me, then who message and mantra out there inspiring others to to live by that is something that's incredibly valuable and important um, and will help change you as an individual very much like it's helped inspire me over the years um, as well as it can to benefiting others. So I was going to say there, Amy, in that earlier segment, you make a very valid point that it's, it's very difficult to help others if, I can't remember exactly how you put it, if you're not right yourself, right? So taking care you know, kind of getting your ducks in a row first before you really are in position to really move the needle and make the biggest impact in others' lives. It sounded a lot better coming from you, Amy. What, what, remind us exactly how you put that. You know, Scott, I just shared that it's really about you can't be a value to anyone else until you're a value to yourself. And I think we all have to take our, you know, we have to discipline ourselves, especially when we're, you know, stuck in our homes for months and months at a time, you know, find something that's, that's helpful for you, where you can sort of, you know, check out for maybe 30 minutes and clear your head. We, like I said, we have resources on our website that are all focused around, you know, the month of May, we did a big push around the mental health and well-being of our members. We did a webinar, we have all kinds of resources, gratitude journals, you name it, but it's very important. And, and really what we've always talked about at the foundation is finding these ways to still feel like you're a part of something, even if you are stuck at home, taking care of yourself. Once you're in a good place, it's much more valuable to everyone else you're around. If you want to go out and serve your community, I guarantee you, you will be of more value if you've taken the time to take care of you and your family before you step out and be of greater good to the larger community as a whole. Love that. Much more eloquently than I could ever put it. But the other great thing about that is, is while it's highly relevant within the veteran community, what you just shared there in that perspective is really universal, especially during these pandemic times where uh, we're all challenged and we all get down and, and finding those ways to unplug or find those ways to uh, to take care of yourself are so important. So I really admire all that you do and the journey you've gone through and, and how you're now in position to help so many other folks by sharing perspective like you have here today, by you know leading the really practical, powerful programming at the Travis Mannion Foundation. Uh, and real quick for our listeners, that, that URL where you can learn more is travismanion.org, and that's uh, Travis, M-A-N-I-O-N. Org. And of course, Amy, y'all are across social media as well, correct? 
Yes, everything, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. What else am I missing? I think we're on TikTok now too. So that's a new one for me. But yes, we're it. on every every outlet of social media you could imagine. And, you know, the, the, central, the central really vehicle for today's interview, and, and Kevin, I'm so glad that you really put the spotlight on this, and that's this great book that Amy Looney Heffern and our guests here today has written, The Knock at the Door, Three Gold Star Families Bonded by Grief and Purpose. You heard the impact it's had on Kevin, and now his wife's reading it, and, and very powerful, it sounds like, in, in her life as well. Where can we find the book, Amy? It's available on Amazon and any other major uh, bookstores websites. Um, it's also available on Audible. So if you don't like to read, you can certainly um, listen to it. You can read it on your Kindle. It's got a format that will work for everybody. We'll try to include some of those links in the show notes to make it really easy for folks. We've enjoyed our conversation here today with Amy Looney Heffernan, again, author of The Knock at the Door. Uh, Amy is also the widow of Lieutenant Brendan Looney, a Navy SEAL we lost in Afghanistan in September 2010 and, and really appreciate your thoughts you shared there. Also, Amy serves as vice president of the Travis Manion Foundation where her and her team are, are giving back and, and helping so many people. So check them out at travismanion.org. Thanks so much, Amy. And big thanks to Kevin Horgan and our friends over at Vetlana. You're making these valuable connections, uh, spotlighting the folks that are, are, are doing incredible work uh, serving the vet, the veteran community. Kevin, real quick, the next summit is coming up. Do you have the date again? Yes, it's August 13th, and invites should be going out next week, and uh, we have a huge platform to do, do it on. We have breakout sessions in the afternoon. We have a, um, a networking component, which is really just a slideshow, if you will, and we do have uh, Amy is going to be speaking at it. Also, Woody Williams will be speaking at it, along with a couple other uh, uh, short bites of different information. And that program is about an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, it's, it should be very exciting. And Amy, if I can just say, it, it was a pleasure having you on the show today and, and to thank you for your service to everyone. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate all your support and your partnership through Vetlana. But no, I I'm, you know, mutually just so appreciative of having the opportunity to to share something. And hopefully someone will walk away with maybe something they didn't know coming into this. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Big thanks again, Amy Looney Heffernan, Kevin Horgan. You can check out that August 13th summit where Amy will be speaking uh, at vetlana.org, V-E-T-L-A-N-T-A. .org. On behalf of the entire team here at Veteran Voices and Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton, Wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Hey, you heard it here. You heard it. What a great testimony. Do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed on, on that note. We'll see you next time on Veteran Voices. Thanks, everybody.